Okay. Um, Gail, would you read the case, please? Yes. Uh, okay. Case 21. Yes. yes. Case 21, humans dried shit stick. Hmm. When a monk asked Yunmen, what is Buddha? Yunmen said, a dried shit stick. Nelda, would you read women's the um, case again and women's comment, please? Yes. When a monk asked Youngman, when what is Buddha? Youngman said, a dried shit stick. Women's comment. It can be said that Youngman was too poor to prepare even a simple meal and too busy to write a composition. In response, he took a shit stick and propped open the gate of our school. The rise and the fall of Buddha Dharma can be witnessed here. Like a flash of lightning or spark struck from flint, in the blink of an eye, it is already gone. I like to read what I wrote. Oh, please. I take it they were only used once. That's the shit stick. Then they would be disposed of. But he was so poor, he used it to prop open the Dharma gate with the most lowly of objects. So there's this, this uh, what is sacred? What is rise and fall? How does Dhar Buddha Dharma fall? I mean, I think it's addressing even for me the impermanence of the Dharma or the Buddha. Is it what we treat? Do we treat it different than a shistic? Is it impermanent? No sooner does it rise that it falls. Buddha Dharma is temporary, used once. I take it these sticks would only be used once and then disposed of. Why but, would why would you assume that? Because uh, now I'm curious, I just wonder. You would you wouldn't want to uh, wipe someone else's shit on you. But your own. I mean right. like have Well I don't know that you would carry this around in your knapsack either. <laughs> no but I, I I guess what I'm thinking about, what came up when you said that is there are some places, um, Israel is one of them, where trees are not in abundance. They just aren't. And so I was thinking what... And Mexico too, parts of... Exactly. So yeah. why would you dispose of a stick when you don't know when you might find another one? And I, I just, I wondered why, I mean, I would, I would think it would not be a fungible good if, if sticks are limited, <laughs> so. Um, well, that's a good point. And so we'll, maybe we'll read something about that. Okay. Yeah, I think, I agree with Nelda. I think it's probably something that was kept 
and you know maybe kept somewhere by where be, anyway that that's what it seems to me that it would okay. be more likely yeah you find right. a good stick that works really well you wipe it off and you use it again that's right yeah it, it'll be interesting to read about you know the these koans the context is so important and you know these were all thousands hundreds thousand couple thousand years ago right and, uh, so i have no idea what the context of of this stick is and that's why i like it but the thing that i that i thought of um and it reminds me of anything else like what is what is the buddha what is true nature what it, well i thought to myself well what isn't right <laughs> the buddha or true nature you know yeah it could be a it could be a shit stick. It could be a, right. a rock in the garden. It could be my foot, you know, or me or, you know, whatever. It's, uh, that's, that's where my mind went, you know, but I'll be interested to see what, the, you know, he'll, he'll probably go on for like six pages explaining the whole. And so all of these, all of these columns have like a little dig into the Theravadan and the idea of propping up the Dharma gate or Buddha Dharma you know, open. Open. with a stick is is to some people really, really insulting. Like I remember my friend was, this is years ago, and there's a famous photographer, you could look him up, his name's Ernest Haas, no longer alive. And he came to our school and somehow my friend was showing his work and my friend was doing a lot of manipulation of photography. And he stood up and he said, how dare you rape my mistress? His mistress meaning photography. But it was that mm. same same kind of battle between the old and the new, the the people who just do everything right and the people who change. And then my Again, wife- Again, another thread I see a commonality in terms of tradition a more traditional view and a newer thinking is that that link between Judaism and Levitical thinking and living and 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 Jesus being Jewish never thought to call himself Christian right um, bringing in a sort of new order new approach to what it was to live um, in community. Yeah, yeah, he was absolutely a rebel and went against yeah. many of the things and, you know, turned over the money balls and, oh, right. and said, I come with a sword. And, and he also, he also, um, you know, was friends with the prostitutes and the oh, yeah. thieves and the lowly. Um, he didn't, uh, and it's kind of like this shit stick here. It's like, right. there's nothing, there's nothing that's outside of this love or this Buddha nature, whatever you want to call it, nothing. And he washed their feet, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Did, did yeah. you guys, did I tell you guys about how important that uh, David Foster Wallace piece is to me? This is water. No, I can't no, remember if I talked about the hair. Are you guys familiar with it? No. I think no. Did heard you it. send it out? Did you send it out? No, I, I did to a, another group, but I'll, I'll send it to you guys. But that's, for the past couple of weeks since we, that's what I think about. And that's what I was thinking about with this, because in This Is Water, basically he talks about fish in the water and, and these two fish going, oh, what is water? 
well, it's all around you. Well, that's the same way it is with Buddha and Buddha Dharma. How can we question, where is it? What is it? How is it? And it's right here. And for me, what I say to myself a lot lately, <laughs> where I am, is this is life. This is water. This, this is, is life. Water. You know, yeah. it reminds me of, um, I, I had a little kind of a glimpse of, something and I went to inquiry with Flint and I said you know I had this experience and it's like everything everything is this this that I saw all of it you know right. said, and then I told him I said I said but what's happening is my mind is saying oh everything is this so I'd walk and it would go walking is this your foot is this your hand is this. And then it started to bother me that my mind was narrating. And <laughs> yeah. I told him, I said, it's driving me crazy. It's saying everything is this all the time now, all, all afternoon. And it's annoying. And he said to me, that's it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and I laughed. I said, oh, okay. Because I was thinking, you know, that that crazy mind wasn't it either. You know, right. but, but it, it is. is. <laughs> So Were you guys I, ready to? Well, I want to. I want to concur with Kim. I, I, I sort of went down the sim, a similar path, but I started out with this is similar to the three pounds of flax we just read. Yes. yes. So similar. So for me, it was like, oh my gosh, the shit sticks. One of the most basic commodities, and in my mind, maybe a, a, a scarce one, but still a basic one. And he could have used anything to prop open the, the Dharma gate, just like we can use anything to open Dharma gates to ourselves and others. And I thought, you know, he was literally holding a literal gate and, and a practice gate open, not like with the palace, you know, with the guards and the swords, with something ornate, but just something so basic and we and we can kind of do the same thing because any act can be uh, an act of buddha dharma and they can occur at, you know what did i put here let me see we can open gates to buddha dharma in every moment of our lives with the simplest act word or implement and all buddha dharma is as stunning and awe-inspiring as that flash of lightning which is big and bold or that tiny little spark from the flint, which is just as bold, but smaller. It's all Buddha Dharma. It's all now. It's all, this is it, right? It's like the, the four vows, you know, that we yeah. take. Dharma gates are boundless. We mm -hmm. vow to enter them. And, and I like the idea of a shift stick because we all know that um, a lot of our stuff, a lot of the conditioning that we're carrying and the stuff that we don't like and the anger and the hatred and the greed is very often the thing that moves us to a point of suffering that we actually stop and want mm. to maybe you know look at things differently or find another way and so it can I love what you said Melda you know it can open the door even though it looks like something crappy. You know? And I don't mean to sound crass. I didn't write this down because I didn't want to sound crass. 
but a shit stick and using it for an everyday or for most people an everyday function is the epitome of impermanence. Food goes to, through us, it becomes impermanent and it comes out of us and it goes back to the earth. And it, I mean, talk about a cycle of impermanence to, right. to use as a metaphor for... Well, I think actually Gua Goo is going to talk about that exact oh. thing. Yeah, I thought that's great. Yeah. So, uh, Gail, if you would start us off, please. Okay. Okay. Gugu's comment. There is no cultural barrier with the language in this case, so there's no need to explain the translation. It is utterly clear. In case 18, someone asked Dongshan Shouchu the same question, to which he replied, three pounds of flax. Now someone asks his teacher, young men, what is Buddha? And he says, a dried shit stick. They did not have soft toilet paper in pre-modern China. So they used leaves, scrap paper, water, and all kinds of other items to wipe themselves. To clean the toilet area, they used a bamboo stick like a shovel. So when asked, uh, young men said that bamboo stick is Buddha. Wu Men said something extraordinary. It could be said that Yun Men was too poor to prepare even a simple meal and too busy to write a composition. In response, he took a shit stick and propped open the gate of our school. The rise and fall of the Buddha Dharma can be witnessed here. So it, it appears that I'm completely wrong. Yeah, it was to clean the area, not the person. Okay. Yeah. That makes it more, a little painful. <laughs> that actually brings the point home more that it's yes, it a cleaning does. implement. Yes. Well, I apologize for the misinformation. You were close. Okay. And, you know, I just want to add here, I have a dream book that talks about dream symbols and um, um, <clears throat> shit <laughs> is basically uh, related to your emotions, your emotional Stuff. So when you're when you're having dreams that have to do with voiding or cleaning up or whatever, it has to do with your emotional life, which I thought was very interesting. Mm. You know. <laughs> okay. Many teachers can perhaps sit down and compose book. I guess I'm next. Book yeah. after book upon book with intent of spreading Buddha Dharma, but none of those words really mean anything. There are actually authors who don't even practice, but write about Buddhism, or people who have no experience of the heart of Buddhism, yet create elaborate treatises about it. Similarly, while there are great chefs who use all kinds of ingredients to make delicious foods that not only taste good, but also look good, there are actually people who write cookbooks discuss dishes and ingredients, but don't really cook. I once tried to cook something by following a recipe, but gave up because it was too complex. But where does the food go? From our mouth to our stomach and out the other end? Human was too poor to bother with cooking, either a feast or a simple meal. Yet even people today are chewing his are still chewing his, stick, his shit stick. The core of the Chan tradition can be witnessed here. 
where right here with this shit stick like a flash of lightning or sparks struck from flint in the blink of an eye it is already gone Stephanie, if it's if it's all right, will will you read next? Because I printed it, and somehow a sheet of paper oh. that already had printing on it got in oh. the in the and so I can't read a thing for the next two or three paragraphs. Unless you want me to share, I, oh, but you can't see, right? Yeah. No, I can see. I'm on the computer. I just didn't yeah. want to go through that. Trouble. Oh, I can share. It's right here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Do I start with that's pretty fast? Yeah. Yes. That's pretty fast. What has already gone? As soon as you hesitate, it's already gone. Hesitate about what? The meaning of the shit stick. What do you think of when you what do you think of when you read this case? When the abbot of the province Zen Center, who represents the Korean Chongya? Chalkia, order in the West, came to Tallahassee to visit. We gave a teaching together, sharing memories of having studied with our teachers. As Mark the Abbot related a story about his teacher, Xiong Shan Hang, and Shit, I mentioned a story about my teacher and feces. An elderly man came to me afterward and said, I really don't understand, Chan. He continued, Tonight you spoke about feces. In the Chan discourse records, there is the line about Yunman's shit stick. I don't understand it. What is it talking about? Now I ask you, the reader, when you read this case, how did you feel when encountering that response to what is Buddha? What happened when you read basically that the answer was a toilet cleaner? Did that startle or shock you somewhat? Or did it make perfect sense? Or did it stop you in your tracks? What gut response did you have to the word shit? Yuck is the ordinary response. It is quite interesting how we respond to feces. We all have ideas about what we see, what we hear, what we touch and smell. If we get caught up in our ideas, we miss the point. We don't really see things the way they are. We see our own story about these things, and then we get all agitated and irritated. On November 25th, a few years ago, my wife gave birth to a baby girl. Everyone congratulated us. A month later, I returned to Taiwan because I got the news that my father was ill. <coughs> By the time I got there, he had passed away. Everyone sent me condolences. How do we respond to birth and death? Why is it we congratulate when there is birth and, and send condolences when there is death? This is natural. Some may say that it's how we live between birth and death that defines us. My father had lived an honorable life. I will teach my daughter to live her life honorably and to see life and death as inseparable, as an opportunity to awake her humanness. The way you live, your sense of direction shapes you and gives your life meaning. Think about how you have shaped your own life and how you have authored it.
to me, I'm sorry. One of the most important parts of practice is earnestness. When you are earnest about your life, about the things that you do, you will be careful not to take things for granted. You will pursue what is meaningful. I want to talk about pursuing what is meaningful later. Vows shape your pursuit and aspiration. When you have vows, you have direction. And when you have direction, you won't get lost. Otherwise, you float aimlessly. Vows should not be for material gain, but for something wholesome and useful that can bring forth the best in you to benefit others. You then live as truly human. When you could live, when you can live as a human, you begin to live as a Buddha. To live as a Buddha is well, wait, to live maybe forward. you want to talk about it now, the meaningful. Well, I guess the paragraph in a sense explained it because everything is meaningful. The way I approach washing dishes is meaningful. The way I approach sweeping the floor is meaningful. The way I dedicate the merit of one breath, one breath to someone is meaningful. It's all meaningful. So I, I, maybe I was reading more into, I was thinking, oh, what do you mean by meaningful? And I think it went on to say vows um, and having direction with your life to, to use it to, to live well and serve others. I think it explained it. So there's a funny paradox where, where we talk about meaningful and then we talk about, you know, anything is, is kind of holy. Uh, anything is worth, worthy of propping open a Dharma gate. So it's neat to have those two things both being true. Mm -hmm. And some of us, I can only speak for myself. Some of us, um, get greater comfort, peace, contentment, joy in serving on a smaller stage than what might be considered meaningful, which is a large stage. I'm so grateful for those people who live on large stages like Obama and Biden. But my meaningful is different um, than that. And that's where I feel like the best in me comes out on smaller stages. So to me, that's meaningful. How about someone who like bakes at Central Market and that's their life? It's fabulous. I think that's yeah. fabulous. You know. Or cleans toilets, yep. digs ditches, <laughs> or does like my mom did when she couldn't do anything else and spent her entire day praying for others. That's amazing. Okay, Stephanie's reading, I think. Okay. To live as a Buddha is to live fully, freely in birth and death. But most people's response to birth and death is a kind of escapism. They welcome birth and run away from death. They feel happy about birth and sad about death. Between birth and death, they pursue a life of escape. They run from the inevitability of death and try to hold on to life. And in that course, they make all kinds of mistakes. Your practice is not only to understand birth and death, 
but to fully live out birth and death in one continuum. The question is, are you living out your life fully with all of your potential, your aspirations, your capabilities? Or are you living your life selfishly? Are you contributing to humanity, to your fellow human beings? If so, in what ways? If not, why not? If you aren't, how can you call yourself a human being? Being part of this species is your connection to your fellow human beings. Then men's shit stick is related to this. You will get some understanding of this going on when we examine Yun Men's life a little. Yun Men was one of the greatest Chan masters in the history of Chan. He lived during the classical period in a time of turmoil after one of the most devastating persecutions of Buddhism in China. This happened from the end of the Tang Dynasty, um, 618 to 907, into the Five Dynasties, 907 to 60 and the Ten Kingdoms, 902 to 79, just before the Song Dynasty, 960 to 1279. Local warlords ruled in China in this period and divided the country into pieces. Hence, it is called the Five Dynasties and the Ten Kingdoms. A human left Yanmen left home to become a monk at the, about the age of 16. He studied the Vinaya, the Buddhist monastic codes or precepts. <coughs> we can equate this to studying how to be a human being. His first teacher with whom he studied for many years was a precept master. Afterward, with a very foul, solid foundation of Buddha Dharma and how to conduct oneself according to the Vinaya, He felt the need to further his practice to experience Buddha Dharma personally. He had studied how to become a human being, but now he wanted to be one. So he sojourned to meet many different teachers until he came across the one who opened the gate for him. Me. Allowing him to enter the ocean of Dharma, in other words, to awaken. That master was Muzu. Taozong, the monk who also helped the great master Linji Yijian to become enlightened. During the Buddhist persecution, Musha left monastic life to take care of his ailing mother, living in a hut with her, making and selling straw sandals. After his mother died, and even after Buddhism was allowed to flourish again, he continued living in that hut. Although Musho remained a lay practitioner, he was nevertheless a great teacher and his name and fame spread widely. Thus, having heard about him, Yunmen sought him out to study with him. When Yunmen finally found him three times, he tried to get into Musho's hut to seek instruction and he was refused each time. The third time that Yunmen knocked on Muzhu's hut, Muzhu asked, Who the hell are you? Yunmen answered, Wenyan. Yunmen was still known as Wenyan at that time. So Muzhu asked, Why are you here? 
Yunmen replied, I'm still unclear about myself. He had been studying the Buddha Dharma, mastering the Vinaya, yet he was still unclear. He must have felt like one studying ingredients in a cookbook or menus in a restaurant as he asked himself, who is it that's reading the menu? Who is it that is eating the meal? I said that studying the, the Vinaya is like studying how to be human. Perhaps he was unclear as to what it is like to be human. After each of the first two knocks on the door, Wu Zhao, who had cracked open the door, but as soon as he saw a human standing there, he quickly closed it. At the third knock, Wu Zhao cracked open the door again. But the third time, when Wen Yan said, I'm still unclear about myself, please open the door, Wu Zhao opened the door, but said something very peculiar. A stone drill of the Qin dynasty, useless crap. Pardon me. Every Chinese person in pre-modern modern times would have known what that meant. In 221 BCE, Qin Shi Yuan became the first emperor to unify China. To improve communications throughout China, or more accurately, so that he could communicate universally throughout his empire, Qin Shi Yuan unified Chinese script from the many different forms used in writing. It was during that period that the wheel was invented, and it was he who began to build the Great Wall of China. His last project idea was to erect a magnificent stone palace for himself. In order to build his palace, a drill strong enough to penetrate and carve stone had to be invented. As the Great Palace did not get built before Qin Shi Huang's death, the stone drills became useless. So Mushu's answer while slamming shut the door, useless crap, was in response to Yun Min's inquiry, I'm still unclear about myself. That is, he wanted to know about me, I, and self. Yun Min was bewildered by that answer, but still tried to push in. He stuck his foot out, thinking Mushu would not close the door on him if his foot were in the way. Wrong. Mushu shut the door and broke Yun Min's foot, and in that excruciating pain, Yun Min realized full awakening. Though from that time on, Yun Min was crippled and walked with a limp, he had now discovered that all along he had been none other than human. His question, unclear about myself, was truly a useless piece of crap. Yun Min studied with Mushu. Mu Zhao, not sure how to say that, for three years, then was sent by him to Chan Master Jue Feng Yi Chun. Yun Men was a monk, Mu Zhu, a lay person. It is usually lay people who study under monks, not the other way around, but a true practitioner has no hang up in that regard. The right attitude is that as long as a person can teach us, whether that person is old or young, a monk or a lay person, we will study with that person. You will remember that Zhao Zhou was like that too. At 60, after his great awakening, he began his journey to refine his practice 
by visiting other Chan masters. However, Mu Zhao felt that young men's affinity was with Wei Feng, so he sent him there. Indeed, young men studied with Zhu Feng until his late 30s and received his seal of approval. He then sojourned for 10 years, refining his practice under various teachers. He finally settled down and stayed with a friend, John Master Ling Shu Ruman, 862-918 until Ruman's death. <coughs> Yunman then took up the mantle of a teacher at that monastery. Later he moved to Cloud Mountain or Yunman, from which he got his name and taught there for the next 20 years until his death. He received students from all over China and supposedly had 38 Dharma heirs. 88 Dharma heirs. Yemen became famous for his, quote, one word Chan, close quote, as he often replied to questions with just one word. He was a great teacher. There is a good English translation of his discourse record by Urs App, Master Yunman. During the Ten Kingdoms, one of the kings favored him in his region and bestowed on him the purple robe, which symbolized imperial recognition and the rank of national teacher, the highest honor. Yunman is featured in many different cases in this current collection of gongans and also in the Blue Cliff Record, another well-known collection of cases, originally compiled by Chan Master Zhudao Zongjian a descendant of the Yunmin line of Chan. Later, Chan master Yangwu Keqin commented on Zhui Dao's compilation, which became what we now know as the Blue Cliff Record. Within Chan Buddhism, there are five different lines. Yunmin is the founder of one of those schools. During the Northern Song Dynasty, two schools within Chan were the most powerful and influential, Lin Qi and Yun Min. However, by the end of the Southern Song Dynasty in the 13th century, the Yun Min line had been absorbed into the Lin Qi line. Now we have only two existing lines of Chan, Chan the Lin Qi and the Cao Dong. Cao Dong rose to prominence in the latter period of the Southern Song Dynasty. I give this little bit of history to show the importance of Yun Min. We can see that from his answer to the monk, Muju's style of Chan rubbed off on Yun Min, aggressive, abrupt, but most direct. Yun Min could not have been more direct in replying to the monk's question, what is Buddha, when he said, shit stick. You often experience the world through your own ideas, concepts about what is good and bad, what is pure or filthy, what to like, what to fear. You have many ideas about the world. This case cuts through all these ideas and fundamentally questions how you live your life, how you experience birth and death. Most of us are merely caught up in our opinions of life and are not alive to how things are. So often you turn into a great advocate for your point of view and then hold negative opinions of those who may have different opinions from yours. 
We recently showed a film at the Chan Center called- Hello. Oh, sorry, sorry. We recently showed a film at the Chan Center called Forks Over Knives, a film that advocates vegetarianism from a medical perspective. People who get attached to this concept may become great advocates of vegetarianism, criticizing meat eaters. You become a, a member of one faction and criticize another. Do you cling to a particular view or party and then allow that to govern your decisions, your choices? I am a vegetarian and encourage others not to eat meat, but there's no need to criticize others in order to show the superiority of being a vegetarian. In seeing the wrong of others, you yourself are already wrong. In the same way, most people get caught up in Buddhism. They use it to measure other people instead of applying the teachings to themselves. In Chan, we call that a dream. The task of young men is to wake his disciples up from their dreams. What is Buddha? A shit stick. This is something that people would never expect to hear. Yet he was actually saying something that accords with the scriptures. For example, in the Avatamsaka, Avatamsaka Sutra, one of the longest Mahayana scriptures one finds, what is Buddha? Buddha pervades all things, the whole universe. It is identical to everything. So why wouldn't Buddha be a shit stick or a bronze statue? Yaman is not saying anything blasphemous. It is your own ideas, your expectations that blind you. Still, maybe you feel a bronze statue is a better substitute for Buddha? Cut to the chase and ask, what is Buddha? This is just like Yun Min's own question. I'm still not clear about myself. Monks read in the scriptures that all beings are Buddhas. This monk may have been wondering, who am I? Am I a Buddha? I don't feel like a Buddha. I'm still unclear about myself. Yun Min got a dose from Muju. You're unclear about yourself? A useless piece of crap just like those useless stone drills that the Quinn emperor had made but were never used. The questions, I'm unclear about myself. What is Buddha? What is Buddha nature? Who am I? Are all so useless, yet so wonderful. The uselessness of this question is like the man looking for his own head in the Surangama Sutra. One day, a man suddenly had a peculiar thought. Hmm, where is my head? He began asking people, have you seen my head? It was, of course, resting on his shoulders. But because he got caught up with this questioning, he began to take it seriously and kept going about asking, where is my head? This is like young men when he was still unsure of himself. And like you, and especially those people who use the Huatu as a method who is the master, or what is Wu, or who am I? It is a ridiculous question, yet you have to come face to face with it, earnestly work through it, and personally realize how ludicrous this question is. Your intellect won't help you here. You know that already. When you have vexations and are troubled, do concepts like, I shouldn't be troubled, or 
just put down vexations actually help? Not so much. So you have to sincerely question until you've personally resolved the question. Similarly, you're a human being. What is it like to be a human being? Are you living fully as a human should? Are you deluded by your life? What is governing your life? Is it greed, hatred, ignorance, arrogance, and suspicion? If it is, then aren't you just a puppet held by the strings of these vexations? Until you can breathe through the shell of self-grasping, you have to ask silly questions such as, what is Buddha? What is a human being or a dry shit stick without using your intellectual rational thinking biases? Instead, the key is earnestness. The rise and fall of the Buddha Dharma can be witnessed here. A dried shit stick cannot be taken conce conceptually. Whether Buddha Dharma flourishes or perishes depends on whether this dried shit stick is able to cut through the layers of conceptualization of your dream and allow you to wake up to who you are. If you allow shit stick to become merely another concept, then you will have contributed to Buddhism's demise. Like a flash of lightning or spark struck from flint, in the blink of an eye, it is already gone. Flash of lightning, sparks from lint. These, happens in, these happen in the blink of an eye. They are impermanent. Buddha Dharma is not understood with fleeting thoughts and concepts. If you try to understand it with that, then it evades you. As soon as you hear or see something and concepts and labeling arise, its essence vanishes. As soon as you give rise to concepts about your experiences and reify them, you kill the experiencing. You don't really live in the liveliness of this moment to moment. Yet how fast you give rise to judgments, biases, proliferation of ideas. It happens every day at every moment. Flash of lightning, sparks from flint, blink of an eye. Do you see how habituated you are? How tightly you are shackled to your concepts, your labeling, your discrimination, and how fast they arise? You live in them. How is this not like living in a dream? So when you practice, say, meditating on the breath or silent illumination or uh, Huatu or Ganyan, you meditate on this moment here. No abstractions of concepts, labels, judgments, discrimination, just as it is on the method. You train yourself to do that first, at least for 30 minutes every day in the simplified space of meditation. The key to this first step to practice is not to react to wandering thoughts or whatever may arise in sitting that pushes and pulls you. You learn to give yourself space from the churning of your concepts and discrimination. You see them arise, you accept them, and then you go back to the method. If they arise again, okay, then go back to the method. Do this again and again. 
Having a disciplined practice, in time you will not be swayed by the ups and downs in the complex space of daily life. When a situation, is it my turn? Yes. When a situation aggravates or annoys you and anger arises in daily life, you will naturally be able to give yourself space and not identify with it. Only then will you see and be close to what is actually happening in the moment. This is the second step where life with all of its challenges and temptations begins to nourish you, provide opportunities to strengthen you. The third step is that not only will you be with what is actually happening in the moment, talking or listening to someone or seeing something, but you will see the nature of mind, the nature of who you are, that you are human. Men is made up of males. Women is made up of females. The third step is awakening. You will realize that adversities or favorable situations become the catalyst to let go of self-grasping. Fourth step might be to continue practice and experience awakening again and again and again until you become truly normal, fully human, and completely natural. It is important to be clear as to what to do in your practice. What is the shit stick? Where is the ship stick? During a talk, I once badgered one of my students and he, his face got all red. That's where the shit stick is. When my teacher humiliated me publicly when I was a novice monk, that's where the shit stick was for me. <coughs> when someone provoked you, you may think that person is the shit stick. <laughs> As you practice, you learn to appreciate that. In fact, you are the shit stick. But what is this shit stick in your life? What is it? May you fully avail yourself of this question. So guys, can I, can I read you something? Yes. Um, this is my, this is my very favorite quote about life. It's from a, um, a Christian writer by the name of Frederick Beekner says, see it for the fathomless mystery it is, in the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it, because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. I've always loved that, because to me, that's it's saying exactly what they're talking about here. Everything is Buddha Dharma, all of it. And it is all miraculous. It's like that story. Um, you guys may know the one that Flint tells the story about how improbable it is that we, we would be born into this human life, like a turtle coming up in this vast ocean, poking its head up through this one yoke. That's how improbable it is. And yet we don't appreciate it. Yeah, you know, Stephanie, you sent out an email um, with the Norman Fisher talk about mm -hmm. case 19. Yeah. That's what I'm reminded of here because um, that was a great talk, by the way. It was. Thank you so much for that. It was wonderful. Yeah. 
But what he did is he gave, he said, just what's being said here by um, Gugo or whatever his name is. Um, he, he said to make a practice, and this is, might be the second step of going about your day the way you normally do, and then checking in just, you know, periodically with what exactly is going on in your mind and in your body in that particular moment. Yeah. And yeah. to do it often, to do it often. And so what I discovered was when I tried it, it was so cool. I discovered that I'm not in the moment, that I'm yeah. moving from the chair to the kitchen and my mind is thinking about what I'm gonna have for breakfast and where's the, you know, and all this stuff is going on. But then as soon as I noticed that, as soon as, as soon as I, you know, saw that that's what was happening, the thinking stopped almost like it had got caught out like, oops, you caught me. <laughs> and then, and then it, then I just moved. Then yeah. I just started walking or, you know, folding the clothes or washing the dish. And that lasted for a little tiny bit until the mind would start in again. But each time I noticed, each time I noticed that the mind was talking, yeah, it brought me completely back into the moment, which was very, it was lovely. It was lovely. Then I would just find myself sitting down, looking out the window, drinking coffee, you know, um, you know what I mean? Just doing normal yeah. stuff with no yeah. thinking, with no thinking. It was just great. So thank you for that because what Norman Fisher was um, giving as a practice is what I think we just read, um, Gugan kind of echoing. And it's this, it's this beingness with no narration and, and excess mind activity that they're pointing to. That's, right. that's what the awakened mind is. We're doing so yeah. much all the time. My favorite in the moment is yeah. when I'm baby bathing my dog. I think I think I'm gonna get interrupted again here. Oh, is and it Kim, your sweetie he wants pie? to see you. Can, you. can you say hi to Kim? Hi. Yeah. Hi, Jack. Microphone. Yeah. He, ha he has a microphone. Oh, microphone. <laughs> oh, look, Kim has a bell. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Thank you, sweetheart. Bye. I'll be out in a little bit. Sorry about that, guys. No, thank you. That was lovely. It's okay. Sorry. Right. That's the best stage. Isn't that one of the best stages? It's so funny. It is. And it's um, you know, this this is where I, I keep saying to myself every, so many times a day, this is life. This is water. This is life. Yeah. It is not anything to get upset about. It's just this is life. Right. This is my right. life. And they're all good ages. My son's yes. 30 now, and every day and sometimes weeks and years, they were different. Yes. I can't they wait until these 40 and 50 and 60 and see those years, too. Yeah, <gasps> yeah I, um, I did have my favorite ages, though. And, <laughs> Me, too. Uh, toddlerhood is a fun, they're, they're crazy, and they drive you nuts, but they're just so much fun. Yeah. I think the most challenging year, although he and I worked it out, it's the teenage years, but I kept reminding myself that brain development in 
in young men isn't complete yeah. until 24, 26. And right. that at the same time, they're, they're, the brain is developing from the base, from the limbic area forward to the logical thinking area. And right. so these poor, sweet teenagers, they've got that going on, you know, the brain growth spurt at the same time as hormones. How can they be other than what they are as teenagers? I kept just going, oh, you poor baby. I hope you get through this, you poor baby. <laughs> oh. I don't know how I got through it. And that's a joy, Stephanie. I don't get to see little ones often. It, it, it is a joy. Um, yeah. I, I, I recognize that I've been given a gift. Um, it was very hard this last year when they were sheltering with my ex and I got to see them, but I didn't get to touch them. And it was, I, it was a hard practice for me this last year. And so now I'm looking at this. This is just such a gift now. You, you have grandkids in Austin too. That's where all the rest of them are, six oh. of them. Yeah. So I'm missing those boys, missing those. But that's okay. I'm coming back. I am coming back, guys. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, this is beautiful here, but it is not home. Yeah. It's not home. It's another home, a different home. Yeah, a different home. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because California, I have a hard time when people ask me where I'm from, and I've been living here for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> I want yeah. to say something like California, no, Austin, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, but you you spend a lot of your formative time here in California. Oh, my whole life. I was born yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, up until I was 50. Yeah. Right. So that is home for you. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say one more thing about what we just read. And I'm so grateful to Norman Fisher. Oh, my gosh. He's, he's he is amazing. amazing. Cemented my practice in his wonderful little, you know, Bodhisattva imagination book in the precepts class. And I, I think it's he, but maybe it was someone else because I'm just can't keep all these things straight. It's okay. They're all cooking in there. And it was someone who said, um, a rose is not a rose. We call it a rose, but we really don't know what it is. And as a gardener, when I used to put down 30, 40 flats of pansies. Now, when I just get to put down flowers, whenever that comes next, I'm going to put everyone down and go, we call you a pansy. We really don't know what you're, what are you really? And I'm going to talk to each one of them <laughs> because, and that's what every, I look at your pictures, y'all on the screen and thank you technology. But even as we were meditating, I looked up for a moment at this two-dimensional image of of y'all just like I look at this two-dimensional image of the world that I keep here and I'm like that's not Stephanie we call that Stephanie I don't right. really know all of Stephanie or all of that world behind me so. and, and that's why one of the um I think most um difficult things for me in this whole process this whole ing that's been going on is being uh, dropping off my roles. You know, um, I'm not a mother. I'm not a daughter. I'm not 
a good mother or a bad mother or a, you know, and they're not what, what I think they are either. You know what I mean? We, we, we have these ideas that we know what things are. We know what people are. We know, and, and it causes a lot of um, clinging. Yes. Pushing. <laughs> yes. You know, so yeah, it's, it's very cool. Well, guys, thank you for this tonight. This has been a really nice, uh, really nice conversation. Um, I never leave without feeling like I've learned so much. Uh, each one of you talking really does have an impact on my practice. So thank you for sharing. Thank it matters you. to me. It matters. Thank you for, for using the words I didn't couldn't come up with. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I will see you all Monday. Yes. Are any of you going to be in the intensive next weekend? Yes. Or Kim is. Oh, we all are. Are we all? Oh, yay. <laughs> I'll see you all hopefully over the weekend then. Okay. Yeah. Have a good, good There's week. There's uh, something like 42 people or something. Oh, that's okay. fabulous. Wow. We, we never were able to have that when we were I know. together. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the most we had like 27 or something. You know? More Fabulous. gratitude for the clouds, Endo. Yeah. 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 Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.